James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... Wilson paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Wow. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have a very special guest. We are doing a two-part segment I suppose a pre-March Madness NBA draft preview. Obviously, you guys know I just did my mock trade deadline with 29 other front office guys, beat writers, everyone from other teams. We just concluded that. The trade deadline happened. You heard my trade deadline grids when Corbin and I did that episode. So yeah, we haven't done much draft talk since in this draft cycle at all, I believe. I believe this is our first episode really talking NBA draft. So for part one of this episode... We have, as I said, a very special guest. We have Isaac of Global Scouting and Draft Digest. So, Isaac, first of all, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm happy to be on this podcast. Again, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad that we were able to make it work. So, let's just get into, uh, I suppose you don't need to give the full, your whole life story, but... How exactly did you, obviously you just tweeted out a couple of days ago that you took the role with Draft Digest, which I believe is owned by Sports Illustrated, if I'm not mistaken, or they work with Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting news. I, I've followed you for a couple of years now since you really have gotten, you know, off the ground and running. So I, I guess just give a brief background. How exactly did you get involved in basketball scouting to get to where you are at this point? No, yeah. Um, so back in high school, it was uh, start sophomore year. Basically, I was on JV, and there was an app called Huddle where you can watch the other team and stuff. And I always would watch the varsity, even though it was a plain varsity. I'd watch the other team's varsity, and I would always write scout reports on like each player's number. And I ended up showing my head coach that the varsity head coach that, and he liked it. I mean, he thought exactly he because he's watching his own film, and I just ended up doing that all year for the varsity team. I didn't have time to do that when I was really a junior and senior to the same degree because I was on varsity those years. And also was always a big draft fan because of Draft Express when I was a kid. I just always was interested in like player development and all that stuff. And then never had time to create my own brand until I got done playing basketball for good, which was after my senior year. So the season ended in February and then March of 2019 is when I started my brand. And I started on Instagram 2020 when COVID hit. I went back, to, I went over to Twitter. And ever since then, it's just been me on Twitter and Instagram, just doing what I love. Yeah. Um. And again, for everyone who listens, you guys know, I, I am a draft guy. I actually just did the, um last summer, I did the Get in the Game by John Ross. I'm not sure if you're familiar with John, but he was a video coordinator for the Portland Trailblazers, and he basically mm-hmm. ran a draft course. I, I became close with, I knew them before, but I became significantly closer with the guys from Upside Swings, Stone and Cooper. We were in the same yeah. cohort, and... Yeah, so again, the draft, I feel like, is a learning process. And again, I'm a front office guy. I want to get – that's my goal, to get into an NBA front office. And a lot of those times, you, you have to start with either a video coordinator or in the scouting department. So, right. so yeah, so that, that's what I'm working towards, essentially. So I know you guys don't hear a whole bunch of draft talk, but that's this is me, you know, expanding my horizons. So, Isaac, the first question I have for you, essentially, is is there any particular thing or level of basketball that you enjoy scouting the most? I know you said you did high school basketball when you were in high school, um, mm. but I- I'm saying th- there's so many different aspects. Like, every level, I feel like, is completely different. Like, you have high school, sure. you have college. The NBA is significantly faster paced than both of them, so... And obviously, that's the best talent in the world. So maybe a guy who's excelled in college doesn't translate. There's international, the Euro League. Obviously, well, Wemby is the French League, AAU, yeah. and now there's other avenues like the G League Ignite and Overtime Elite. So, 
Is there a particular level of hoops that you like scouting more than the other or anything in particular that you notice that vastly differs in the levels or anything like that? Right. Um, I like enjoying all watching all levels, but if I had to pick one, probably college, just because I've been watching college since I was, I since I can remember basically 2012. Um, I think the atmosphere is super fun. Just the college students, the student sections, um, just just the just the coaches and stuff, the legacies there, all that stuff. Being in college or was used to be in college myself, I just I just enjoy the college atmosphere a lot. I enjoyed the NBL. Um, that's another league I've really grown to like. Especially and they, the since, NBL is expanding. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. They're expanding. Yeah, pretty rapidly. I mean, we have the Mellow Park out of there. Josh Kitty. Um, I think mm-hmm. Ryan Dupere is there now in this year's draft. If I'm yeah. So yeah. Um. Yeah, NBL's one, and then honestly, Overtime Elite. I've I've been a big fan since honestly day one of them. Uh, I think they've improved a lot this year, the second year, and I think they'll continue to improve. So those are probably the three leagues that stand out to me that I enjoy watching as a, just as a scouting perspective. That is. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned Overtime Elite because my next question was actually about Amon Thompson. So, mm-hmm. I believe it was when you were on a pod with. Friend of the pod, Chris LeBron. Yeah. Um, I, I believe you guys just did an episode on him, on Armin Thompson. And you had I him. Think it was Detroit, um, the Motor Hoop City guy. If I, I think I believe it was with him that I did the Armin Thompson debate on. Okay. Well, either way, I believe you did have right. Armin Thompson number three on your board. I did. Since I then, do you him. still? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm still a believer in him. So, my I, I suppose this is a two-part question. My first question is, do you think the competition level, we just talked about Overtime Elite. I mean, Overtime mm-hmm. Elite, I, I believe they just played against, um, what's his name? Nasio Cunningham, I believe he's class of 2025, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's, a, he's what, he's a sophomore, I believe? So, my, my point is, these guys are college, AJ, could be freshmen in college, and I, I think they could be sophomores in college because they were almost eligible last year um, for the draft. But my point is, they're obviously older. Are you worried, I guess, my, this is my first question, of the competition level they're playing against? I know they played against um, KK Mega in the Euro mm-hmm. League. They played against um, the Adele, I don't, I don't, Adele yeah. from the NBL. So, yeah, that was cool. Obviously, they played in the basketball tournaments. They, they played in a whole slew of things. I know you talked about that on... Again, forgive me. I know you went on a pod the other day, and mm-hmm. they asked you something similar. So, forgive me again. I, I'm blanking on the name, but you're good. But you, so that's my first question: Is does that concern you at all? The level that both both Thompson twins, Asor and Amin, the level they're playing at, is that too big of a jump to the NBA? Because we have seen guys come out of high school. I mean, that used to be a thing, and it might yeah. very well be thing again in the near future so that's my first question and my second question is i, I suppose compare Amin to again we don't need to go in detail but let's say a brandon miller or a nick smith guys that are candidates to go number three nick smith maybe not but the last few games he's had maybe he put him back in that number three conversation right. but mostly brandon miller controversy aside that he's having from a talent aspect why um, and Thompson over him. So those are my two questions. To answer your first, um, not really worried about the level of competition because there's been many players coming from high school that played against worse competition that succeeded in the NBA. So this it just varies on the player. I feel like. Um, I mean, obviously you have to see like there's some things that are very different. You have to take out them. Some things are very different from each league because sometimes the help defense isn't really there, so he's getting more paint touches than usual. But also at the same time. You could tell just by watching him in any league he'd be in, he's just a next level so athlete. Yeah, yeah, basically that's a great way to put it, uh, put it. Um, so really, no worry about the league he's playing in. For me, maybe for some scouts, there would be an issue there. Um, in the comparison into Brandon Miller, they're definitely like two polar opposite players. <clears throat> Brandon Miller's have great success. I've came I've came around on him a lot as a player because he's made improvements as a finisher and a driver and a, sometimes a half court creator. Uh, but with Amin, I'd still like him just a little bit more just because of his, you know, like you say, it's a walking paint touch, and I think I would value that a lot. I think he's a league guard. I think he's the best athlete and passer in this draft, which is 
you know, very valuable in the NBA. I think he ends up running the offense in the NBA as long as he gets given the keys. Um, I think he's in the tier of Scoot Henderson, and I probably would have Brandon Miller tier below Brandon Miller. Nick Smith Jr. is rising as well. I know you mentioned him. Uh, he's been great ever since he's finally healthy now. Hasn't been healthy all year, really. So it looks like he's finally starting to get his uh, feet back under him, which is good. But, yeah, I'm still a big fan of Amin at three. Mostly due that he does almost everything at a – or projects to do everything at, uh, at an elite level, aside from shooting the ball, obviously. Um, so that's kind of my reasoning on why I have Amin at three. So everything that's come out of Overtime Elite from what I read and just interviews and podcasts I've listened to, it's that both Thompson twins are tireless workers. I mean, they want to be great. They want to get better. That's what I hear as They well. want to continue. So, and again, I think that's a very common thing in the draft community. So I think that's why a lot of people are kind of expecting that jump shot to come around. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, so I, I suppose what I'm asking is, do you think that's a possibility that the jump shot comes around? I mean, I don't know if the shot's totally broken. I believe he's shooting like 27% from three this year, but but I, I mean, is do you factor that in? I guess the work ethic compared to the jump shots and being able to mechanically tweak it or improve it. And I suppose this question's for both Thompson twins, not just Amin at this point. Right. Right. Um, you know, it, I think Astar is the better shooter right now, and I think he projects to be a shooter because he shows better touch, and he's always had better indicators throughout the last couple of years, last two years I've been tracking him. Um, but with Amin, I'm a little skeptical of him ever being a respectable shooter in the NBA because at the end of the day, I still think defenders and they be able to go under ball screens on him. I think they'll play off of him. So I don't know if he'd ever get to, like, that 30-plus percent mark. Um, it'll definitely need a lot of tweaks to the base, the forearm, all that stuff. I, his touch is a little – it's a little sloppy when you the farther out you get from the uh, paint. Um, so I am I'm a little bit more skeptical. I'm not a big believer in a mid jump shot, but I'll start. I think he ends up shooting in the NBA. Um, and with their work ethic, I hear I've heard from because I have multiple people I know in the LTE uh, league. Um, they say they work hard. I hear on men works every day, puts up so many shots every single day, working on that jump shot, trying to make tweaks to it. It's hard to make tweaks midseason, so I think it's going to be a lot seeing. Uh, right now, they're about to do their finals, I believe, tomorrow or in two days or something like that. Their finals begins. Um, and once the season wraps up, I'm sure he's going to be working on that jump shot nonstop, trying to get it right for team workouts and all that stuff, because that will be huge for him, uh, showing that he can shoot it in a workout environment, showing that there's maybe some improvements he made within that three-month span. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's about it with our men on SR. And Amin, again, I don't know if you're a big um, player comp guy. I know there's a lot of very reputable draft people that no longer like giving comps, obviously. Everyone's yeah. their own player. But the two names that I've heard the most of Amin Thompson are Russell Westbrook. That's the number one. And the second one would be a shorter, but not too much shorter, version of Ben Simmons. Now, okay. I'm not going to get into detail. Again, I'm a Sixers fan just for that caveat. So I feel a certain type of way about Ben Simmons. But, and again, we're talking about the Thompsons having a killer work ethic, which I, I personally don't believe Ben Simmons has. But yeah, I mean, even if he doesn't develop the jumper, Ben Simmons is a three-time all-star who, who knows if he gets back to that level or not, but he has the talent. That's clear. And Russell Westbrook's yeah. a former MVP. So even if he doesn't develop the jump shot, I mean, I, I don't think he needs it. Obviously, as you said, it would go a very long way. Right. But, but we'll see. So the next part of what I want to do is I want to basically give you a prospect and you give me the ideal landing spots, the NBA landing spot for them. Okay. So I'm going to do... Let's do the top six guys on my big board. So okay. again, I, it might not be consensus, but most of them are. So let's start first. This first one is Victor Wembanyama, and I, most people have actually been talking about this recently. I believe it was Jonathan Gavoni on the Zach Lowe podcast said an ideal landing spot for him. So I know people have been talking about that. But what's your mm. ideal landing spot for him? For me personally, I think it's Detroit Pistons. <clears throat> okay, I think that. They already have, you know, a great playmaker and Kate Cunningham, who I think could be a franchise player. Jay Navi, who's also a walking paint touch, who they just dropped mm-hmm. last year with their fifth overall pick. 
Um, Jalen Duran's a physical specimen inside. I think he can play at the four next to Jalen Duran. Um, I really like the fit there. I think him and Cade would be a dynamic duo. And then maybe a big three of Ivy, depending on how he continues to develop and goes upward and stuff. Um, I really do like the Detroit fit. I've liked this since the start of the cycle, right. honestly. Um, I just I just see him fitting just fitting perfectly in there. But just with their mindset, see, I think him and Cade have that same winning mindset, and I think they would just be able to coexist so well together. Mine, I think I would go to the Charlotte Hornets. Similar reasons why you pair him with Cade, I would just pair him with LaMelo. And mm-hmm. again, I don't think Michael Jordan is a very good owner. That's a story for another podcast. So I kind of be upset that he kind of gets bailed out after the disastrous decisions that have been made there. But even so, I mean, from a basketball standpoint, I do think, you know, him and LaMelo Ball would be a very exciting tandem together. Right, for sure. Um, what about Scoot Henderson? We'll go to the Houston Rockets. They need they need some changes there. Obviously, worst record in the league right now, I believe to this day. Um, I love Jalen Green. I love him as a prospect with Ignite. I still think he has some issues he needs to work on. Um, Jabari Smith Jr. has been. I think he's barely shooting thirty percent right now from three, and I think he's a much better shooter than that. And I think Scoot come bringing in Scoot, who has made improvements as a playmaker and shooter. And we already know what he does with the ball in the same he's magical with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, giving him a true point guard next to Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr. would be just a step in the right direction. Uh, again, I like Kevin Porro Jr., but I don't really like his fit next to Jalen Green. It's just something I haven't been a fan of this year. Um, so I think bringing in Scoot, I think he can be the number one option. I think he'd be the franchise player. And then having Jalen Green, Alfred Sengue, and Jabari Smith Jr., I think he'll make all those guys better. I'm going to say Houston as well. That was the team I was thinking for both Scoot mm-hmm. and for Armin Thompson. So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, I agree with your sentiment on Kevin Porter Jr. I, I think KPJ would actually thrive more off ball playing like a wing type role. Like, I feel like he's being overextended as a point guard. And right. giving them a guy like Armin or Scoot, I think would be ideal. Um, what about Armin? I mean, Houston, obviously, you just said need a point guard. Yeah. Is there anybody else that sticks out? Yeah, I'll go San Antonio Spurs. Okay. Um, they're, they're in desperate need, I feel like, of a franchise player. Devin Vassell has made a great improvement this year. <clears throat> Kellen Johnson's been their best player. They just traded away Yaka Pirtle. Um, Trey Jones, I believe, has been starting that point guard all year this year. So I'm thinking Amin Thompson will give you a kind of clear-cut number one guy or someone that you maybe get the keys to as a creator. And I think him on the Spurs organization will be great mm-hmm. development-wise. Obviously, Coach Pop, everyone knows how great he is as a coach. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense for Amen. Obviously, they used to rock team the point guard. I wouldn't mind there. But I really love the Spurs fit for Amen. What about Brandon Miller? That's an interesting one. Um, the Pistons would be one if they don't land a number one pick. I did like the Pistons fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the Thunder doesn't end up rising anymore or getting more wins, I kind of like the Thunder fit next to – an elite playmaker in Josh Giddy, Shea, who looks like one of the best guards in the league. Um, Chet Holmgren will be back healthy next year. I'd really like the Brandon Miller for it. Brings shooting, uh, some scoring versatility, fits in right at the three, uh, could play the four in pinches. I really like that fit. That's one I went with. Yeah, I was going to see Detroit again because the fit with Cade and he's a big yeah. game, something they don't have. And we saw how well a guy like Bojan Bogdanovic is playing for them. So I, I think mm. Brandon Miller would be that and more. Um, what about the Orlando Magic? It's a clunky fit because they already have two big forward slash wings that already initiate the offense in Franz Wagner and Paolo Bancaro. Right. So they don't really need a third, but I mean, he fits the type of mold of guy that, you know, they like. Right. Uh it would be a good fit, honestly. Uh, it'd be interesting, though, because, like you said, I wonder how – because I know sometimes they start front of the two this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think uh, Brandon Miller could fit there. Yeah, have just like a massive lineup, honestly. I think it could work with the players they have. Franz is very versatile on defensive end. Paulo is obviously one of the most skilled bigs at his size, and I think he can play three in pinches. Um, I wouldn't mind the Brandon Miller fit at all on the, on the Magic. Uh, they probably would have to luck out a little bit in the lottery because it looks like – Brandon Miller's going to be a number four pick, number three pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have two picks, I think, projected going top seven right now or top nine, something like that. With yeah, the Bulls, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
So they have a good chance of being one of the teams that jump up, honestly, if those two picks, especially if Chicago doesn't start winning games. Well, Chicago's I mean, is top four protected. So Chicago's probably not giving is it? I forgot about that. Yeah, it's top correct, four. So, but with their own pick, they have, I think they have the fifth best odds. So right. it's conceivable they end up in the top four. Um, right. And then Jairus Walker, same thing. I could picture him playing like a small ball five for Orlando. But mm-hmm. my favorite fit here is Indiana. I mean, Indiana tried same. the Jalen Smith experiment at the four hasn't worked out, but I envision Jarris Walker playing in between Tyrese Halliburton and like Miles Turner, or I could envision them getting DeAndre Aiden this summer, who they pursued and signed last summer before it was matched, and doing a slot with Phoenix, like a Miles Turner for DeAndre Aiden type thing. Either way, whoever they have at center, let's just say Miles Turner, Tyrese Halliburton. Benedict Matherin and then Jarris Walker would be that four to complement all them. They could play small ball when, you know, either when Turner's on the bench and they need to spell him some minutes. I think he could adequately play the small ball five. I, I just, I think that would be a very nice fit in Indiana. Oh, I agree. That's actually what I have to do with Jarris Walker. Um, he's just a, a freak athlete, a great NBA ready frame. I think you play him at the four. I think he's ready to play some small ball five minutes. I uh, have to check his stats recently, but at one point recently, he was shooting 40% from three. And Tyrese Halliburton, I think he leads the league in assists right now. So, I mean, you have him as a playmaker, a great elite playmaker next to Walker, who Walker's questions is kind of the scorer. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I don't trust some of his scoring uh, capabilities, but he shows great ability to finish the rim, great feel of it for the game on both ends. Defensive versatility is there. Like, he does so many things well, and I think it would fit uh, Halliburton and potentially Turner if he's there next year so well. Okay, then the last guy I have, again, Nick Smith. I'm not sure if it's consensus at this point that he's, like, in the top six. I have him in the top six. Somewhat around the, there. The last two games that he's played. I mean, I'm just impressed with the fact that, you know, he didn't shut it down for the year. He was hurt with a foot injury. And then everyone anticipated him just not coming back and just prepping for the draft. And I, I think that shows the type of character that he like that he has that he said, no, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at as a lottery pick. I want to be top five. I want to be there for my teammates. Right. I want to make a run at a national championship in March Madness. And, you know, I, I think that demonstrates the type of kid he is. So for, sure, sure. for my fits, I think he'd be best playing alongside another point guard because Again, I don't like throwing comps around that much, but he reminds me of like a Jamal Murray type where he's more of a combo guard than straight point guard. And Jamal Murray's been completely adequate with the Nuggets, but they play off Nikola Jokic more than they play off him. So he kind of is that mm. combo guard, even though he's technically the starting point guard. So I think an Indiana would work. I think a Charlotte would work where he played next to either Halliburton and LaMelo. Maybe not Detroit because they already have Ivy and Cade, but... Even in, in Orlando, if he could play alongside a Markel Fultz or a Jalen Suggs, I, I right. think any of those three landing spots would be ideal. Well, he doesn't need to be the, you know, the primary initiator. Yeah, I'd say my personal favorite fit is probably the Magic, honestly. Uh, given how talented he is on the offensive end, and you already have Franz and Paula there who are shown they can be great offensive players, 20-plus point scorer a night. You bring in Nick Smith Jr. for more offensive firepower. I think it's a really good trio. I think it's a team that can compete in the play in next year, honestly, depending on how healthy Nick Smith Jr. can uh, stay and all that stuff and how Paul develops. I know Paul has struggled a lot this last month. Um, but, yeah, I like the Nick Smith Jr. fit over to Orlando. I also don't mind the Hornets, um, maybe even the Pelicans. Uh, I don't know how, with the, how the end of the season will pan out, but maybe they – With LeBron ahead, they have that Lakers pick. It's conceivable. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe the Pelicans would be a really lovely fit for him going next to CJ McCollum, Ingram, Zion, Jonas. Like that would be a probably a really ideal fit for him. So those he so he has a lot of options, honestly. There's a lot of fits that he fits well in. One more, I know he's still only going to do six, but now that he mentioned the Pelicans, I would love if Cam Whitmore fell to the Pelicans. Mm. Um, even like in Indiana. Well, I mean, the Indiana's desperately needed wings. They Apparently, we're trying to get OG Ananobi, who played at in University of Indiana. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've talked about this relentlessly on every podcast I do. You can't have enough wing depth in today's NBA. And Cam Whitmore, For while sure. I, I am concerned about the assist 
to turnover ratio, the creating for other people. There's still a lot of positives to take out of his game. And mm-hmm. I, he's just about the first true wing that's going to be drafted. So that's somebody we need to keep an eye on as well. 100%. I mean, with his shot-making skills, like his frame and powerful athletic, explosive athleticism, I mean, you can't get enough wings in the NBA, as you said. Like, look at the Clippers, for example. They have so many forwards and stuff on that roster. Um, yeah, Whitmore would fit uh, well in the Pelicans. Uh, even uh, the uh, Charlotte Hornets, I think he would fit well, being a lob threat next to Lamelo. Like, he's a guy that could fit seemingly anywhere else. Anywhere, basically. That's why it's so difficult to pin him to one team. Right. But anyway, I'm looking at the 4.0 big board that you tweeted out the other day. And Mm -hmm. you have it broken up into first-round grades, second-round grades, and undrafted guys, and you rank 100 guys total. So in in your first round, you have 30 guys, of course. The draft, their first round's 30 picks long. Do you Mm -hmm. actually have first-round grades on all 30 guys? Because the more I dig into this draft class, I know this draft class was hyped up as being potentially historic as a Wemby and Scoot at the top and all the stall power. But I don't know if I see 30 legitimate first-rounders in this class. And I'm starting to think that the depth in this class might not be as great as we initially thought. So, I mean, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, well, yeah, the way I do it, I definitely have, like, first-round grades all of them because of the okay. way the draft is. But I think there is a bit of a drop-off after, like, the 20th pick or so. I agree. Uh, I think so there's like a clear drop-off there. Um yeah, depth. There's like some questions I have after like some twenty, like with some players like GG or uh, repair. Um, some some guys like that have questions that I wouldn't take top twenty. That I've seen some having GG as high as eight mm-hmm. or repair in the lottery. Um, that's the stuff I wouldn't have personally. Um, so there's definitely a bit of a talent drop off after you get to like the twenty early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I do see where you're coming from, where it's just not as elite depth as it kind of was perceived at the start of the cycle. Like in 2020, we perceived that. I think it was 2020 was Anthony Edwards, LaMelo, Halliburton year, I believe. But either Uh way, that's it. Yeah. So that draft was perceived. I don't want to say weak, but there was no, like Anthony Edwards wasn't a surefire number one. He made the all-star team, but he wasn't a surefire number one guaranteed lock to be like a franchise changing guy. Mm -hmm. And, Look at the depth that class. I mean, we have like, de- there's always a guy that, look at Nikola Jokic. He was a 42nd right. pick. Came on Green's 36. You're always going to find a guy. Giannis Kawhi uh-huh. went 15. There's always going to be a guy regardless of the draft class. But like Desmond Bain went 30 that year. Tyrese Maxey went 21. That mm-hmm. draft had some substance at the end of the first, early second round. So, I right, mean, it's, sure. just, it's just ironic comparing draft classes that this draft class is supposed to be so great and that one wasn't. But that one, I think, might have gone 25, 30 deep as this one. As we said, the early 20s, there is a bigger drop-off. So that's right. just something people need to be mindful of when you see, you know, your team is contending for a championship and they trade the first-round pick. I mean, if your team's drafting 29, I mean, the Celtics got what is going to be the 29th, 28th, 30th pick for Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, who's to say that yeah. pick? I know when they traded 30th pick two years ago to get off NS Kano Freedom's contract, that pick turned into Desmond Bain for Memphis. So yes, that right. happens. But when evaluating these guys, I think it's John Hollinger from The Athletic always says, there's 17 guys in a draft that work out, and these are who the 17 guys I think they'll be. Something It's, it's a number like that, where you're not, no draft really goes 30 deep, realistically. Right. There's always going to be... There's always about like on average, I think I did this like in my free time. The players per draft that have eight plus year careers is only twenty one per draft uh, yeah. since two thousand. So there, like forty guys aren't gonna like you know what I'm saying. So I exactly there's like only gonna be so many picks. That's why some second round picks just get thrown around. Almost like almost almost every second round pick's always been traded at some point. So yeah, look at this trade deadline. I mean, this trade deadline I did write an article about it. It was more because contenders didn't have first round picks to trade because so many of them traded them to already get a star, like the Cavs, mm. the Box Six. I'm not going to name all of them, but so many of them. So that's why. Hey, I'll give you five seconds for Sadiq Bay. Hey, I'll do this. Hey, I'll do that. They threw around seconds because that's all they had. But it's also because the odds of hitting a Nikola Jokic or a Draymond Green or even a Chris Middleton or Malcolm Brogdon. Right. 
it's not a high success rate. I mean, sure, it happens. You're always going to get out of those, what number did you say, 21 guys out of your career? I would, say probably, average, yeah. I, I would guess probably three of them, four of them are second round picks. But probably. I, again, I didn't go that far into it, but yeah. But yeah, but my point is, four, right. three or four out of 30 isn't as high as 18 out of 30. So right. that's why we've seen you know that happen at the trade deadline. So... Any first-rounders that you feel strongly about as, I don't want to say sleeper because I already projected first-round pick. I have a few listed, but is there any in particular that you want to throw out there that you've, like, last year, I think I had Tari Eason number four on my big board. I loved Tari Eason. Mm -hmm. So is there a guy Um, like that that you feel very strongly about? That people here, either aren't high enough on, or yeah, here recently probably Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. He's uh, getting he's a lot of great. Money. Yeah, he's he's it's starting to get he's starting to gain a lot more traction recently. Thankfully, um, I just love him. I think he's a three level scorer, smooth lefty. Has shown the, some playmaking chops. Um, he's been huge for Michigan. They were having kind of a down year, um, and now having him next to Jet Howard, who both I think can come June. I think both could be potential lottery picks, honestly. Okay. Kobe Bufkin has been awesome. It all depends on March. I know March plays a decent factor and then the combat, so there's still ways to go. Um, Kobe Bufkin's the big name to me that I think should start being a lot higher on draft boards. Yeah, and I'm starting to see him, you know, um, Jonathan Wasserman from Beach Report just posted his mock draft. He had Kobe Bufkin debut on it. Um, mm. Somewhere else. Uh, again, I apologize to whatever journalist posted it, but maybe it was Sam Vecini from The Athletic or someone basically said, keep an eye on Kobe Bufkin. And again, I, I, I've i seen him a little bit from watching Jed Howard. The last game I've watched in Michigan was the Iowa-Michigan game where Jed Howard and Chris Murray both just had monster games. Yeah. I downloaded Adam Synergy. So we'll talk. Give me a good Kobe Bufkin game to watch. I'll download it and we'll talk about it. But- gotcha. I have a few guys that have really stood out to me in recent weeks. The first one I have is Jalen Hutchifino from Indiana. He just had mm-hmm. on Saturday a monster 35-point performance where he made Zach Eadie from Purdue look a little silly on um, playing drop coverage. He's just such a mid-range maestro. He does remind me. Mm-hmm. Very similar measurements as well and similar play to DeMar DeRozan. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be that level of player, but maybe DeMar DeRozan might, I would say. He's really caught my eye, and he's another one who's been rising in recent weeks. And then Taylor Hendricks from UCF. He's obviously burst onto the scene basically since the college season started. He, I think, was a like 67th-ranked yeah. recruit in this high school class. He wasn't really uh, wasn't a five-star prospect. I think he was four-star, maybe three. I'm not sure. But, Four, yeah. Yeah, but by no means he wasn't like... He was never supposed to be a one-and-done, and... Uh, I think at this point, he's clearly going to be. For sure. For sure. So, sure. Hendricks, I just feel like in the pick and roll, from what I've seen, he could do anything. He could be the ball handler. He could pick and pop. He could be the roller because of his athleticism. He's just so versatile and such a basic set that is run so often in the NBA that I just seem like the floor is so low. And Huchifino, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm worried that maybe he never develops that three-point shot. I think he will. But if he doesn't, no teams don't love a guy falling in love with the mid-range nowadays. I mean, sure, there's DeMar DeRozan, there's Chris Paul, but unless he's that level of player, I am concerned with, you know, his play style in that aspect. So do you have anything to add on either of those two guys? Yeah, with uh, Hutch Shapino, he's been rising a lot on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an argument as the best mid-range uh, shot maker in the draft. Uh, he's great in the pick and roll. He can pass it. Um, I think he's made improvements to the three ball from looking at him at Montverde Academy until now. Um, I just would like to see a little bit of a higher volume in certain games. I feel like sometimes he just doesn't go – doesn't seek the three-point shot enough. Um, but I do, I, I'd really do like him. He's really damn near a lottery pick for me at this point. Um, Taylor Hendricks I've loved for a while now. I mean, he's everything you look for in like a modern big with that can protect the rim can switch on the perimeter late in the shot clock, um, can shoot it, and an explosive finisher of, at the rim that gets off the ground pretty quickly. Um, I love Hendricks. Uh, just I mean, He hasn't quite uh, sneaked into my lottery grade yet, but he's hovered around there for sure. He he makes a case for their lottery pick. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. Hendricks, I just feel like he could do whatever role you ask him to do, and that's a very valuable right. with his athleticism 100%. and his shooting ability. And he could hand, as I said, he could be a little bit of a pick and roll ball handle, like just such a versatile guy. So that's why I, you know, think the floor is pretty high for him, and that that's valuable. So uh, my next question is: any second round sleepers that you feel strongly about? Um, I'm going to segue it by mentioning a guy who's top 10 on some boards or in the 40s and 50s on other boards. And I think he's just about, now that Brandon Miller has improved his finishing ability, I think this guy I'm about to mention is probably the most versatile, or not the, the most controversial guy on draft Twitter now in regard to just he's all over the place on big boards. And that's mm-hmm. Brad, Brandon um, Pudziemski from Santa Clara. I mean, mm. he transferred from Illinois after not playing much last year, and he's he's literally dominated the West Coast Conference. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know people have concerns about his hips being stiff, so maybe the shot doesn't translate. He relies a lot on mismatches on smaller guards to get his shot, but he's a great rebound. Like, there's just... He's been so dominant in Santa Clara, and again, he's a very different player than Jalen Williams from Santa Clara was last year. Right, for sure, uh, sure. I just, he passes the eye test to me. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's enough to put him in my first round, but I, what's your opinion on him? No, I agree. I think he's really a first round talent at this point. I mean, he's shooting mid 40% from three. He has great size for a wing. Uh, one of the best floaters in all of the draft as well mm-hmm. at that size, which is very valuable in my opinion. Um, he, he, like you said, he's taking advantage of mismatches. There's something he does have some uh, concerns. But, I mean, he has been so productive for this team. Um, I'm hoping they can end up making a run to the tournament so he can get, get seen a little bit more. Um, he deserves a ton of love. That's a great pick, honestly. If he slips his second round, I think it's a steal, given his shooting ability, flutter touch, uh, versatility he has shown as a scorer, uh, and just a great positional size. Uh can pass a little bit, too. So, on your last big board, you add Podziemski, 46. Yes. But this was a couple weeks ago at this point. I know he just had that 18 rebound game. He had a few pretty impressive games. But I know you also just tweeted out, I think literally as we were logging on to this call, oh, I I think you retweeted Wasserman and said, oh, we have Podziemski over Max Lewis now. So that's that's first-round territory at this point. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, he's impressed me. Again, he's passed the eye test, so... For that reason alone, I do think he's again. I, I still have a lot of evaluation to do on a lot of guys before I declare him a definitive first round pick. <clears throat> but from what I've watched, he's a top thirty guy in this class. So, is there any other mm-hmm. guy projected in the second round that really has stuck out to you, or a guy you feel passionate about? Um, I'll go for another mid major name. Okay, uh, that definitely deserves a little bit more love. That hasn't really got much. Is Drew Pember out of UNC Asheville? Okay. <clears throat> He's a 20-plus point per score night right now, shooting nearly 40% from three. Think and he's like, like seven foot. He's like seven foot yeah, two. Six, yeah, uh, six ten, six eleven. Okay, but, no, but either way. Yeah, but he's like uh, – I think he's top ten in the nation in blocks. He's averaging like 2.5 blocks per game. Uh, he has great feel for the game on the offensive end. Like, I really do like him. I think he fits, fits as a perfect role player, as a stretch forward that can also protect the rim. Uh, but he hasn't really been – on any like players draft or uh, scouts draft boards or anything like that I've seen. Um, but I really do think he deserves more second round love, honestly. So we kind of answered my next question. My next question is give me a guy or two who's not going to play in March Madness most likely that mm-hmm. fans need to know about. We mentioned Podziemski who again, we hope Santa Clara wins the West Coast Conference because I don't think they'll get an at-large bid. We talked about Kobe Bufkin, who it doesn't seem like Michigan missed maybe, but they're on the outside looking in on the bubble. And we just talked about maybe Drew Pembro gets in if UNC Asheville wins the Big South. But yeah, because I think they're the favorite right now. So yeah, though they were the one seed, and I believe that tournament just started either today or yesterday, whenever it was. Just today. So, yeah. yeah, is there any other guy who? Isn't going to make the tournament. I mean, Cam Whitmore's an obvious one, Villanova. Unless they win mm-hmm. the Big East, they're not going to make it. Um, Bryce Sensible, Ohio State. Um, again, they 
Oh, they could theoretically make a run in the Big Ten, but as of now, they're on the outside looking in. They have a losing record. Yeah. Um, Gigi Jackson, obviously. I, I just named a bunch of them, so if you don't have any, that's okay. But is there any other one that, hey, be on the lookout at the conference tournaments now because you might not see him until the combine after this? Yeah, I'll go Judah Mint out of Syracuse. Okay. Uh, a super talented inside-the-arc scorer. Recently, he's taken a little bit of higher volume of threes, but still isn't hitting consistently enough yet. So that's a big question for him because he's only about 6'3". Um, and the three-point shot isn't all the way there. But he's super – he's a weird kind of guard, uh, just the way he operates. But I really love him on the offensive end as an inside-the-arc scorer. He can uh, – obviously, elite shooter from the mid-range can finish at the rim with either hand. Has a little bit of a floater, some pick-and-roll craft. Um, defensively, Syracuse plays the 2-3 zone. But at Oak, at Oak Hill Academy, I liked him defensively a lot. So I think he's a name that you probably won't hear in March just because of Syracuse struggles. Um, but he's someone that I think it should get a little bit more love and recognition. So I have one final question for you. That question is 2024. Again, I'm not well-versed enough in the draft to really look ahead. And I, I don't really scout high school, if I'm being honest. So I kind of wait okay. for these guys to come to be draft eligible, so whether they're at overtime elite or the year league or in college, that's kind of when I start doing my analysis on them. And again, I know it is beneficial to watch some high school tape. I, I, I'm I, aware of that. So that's the one flaw in my analysis. But bringing that all, tying that all together, 2024 from what I've heard and read and a little bit of seen is that it's not particularly a strong draft class. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that's going to affect some of these guys' decisions? I mean, Kobe Bufkin, for example, people are saying, oh, maybe he's a 2024 guy. I mean, I, I think a guy like Gigi Jackson might regret um, reclassifying, especially for a school like South Carolina. Maybe he ch- decides not to enter the draft and either transfers or signs a GV Ignite or something. I think that'd be beneficial for him. I mean, do you think that has any impact next year's draft being perceived as weaker so guys could get better, not only improve their stock and improve as a player, but, you know, go higher because there's not as many hurdles to go higher because next year's draft is perceived as weaker? Yeah, um, there's definitely a bit of a drop-off in class. Uh, I don't think it's like... I think John McGillian said like the wick one of the worst drafts ever. So I don't think it's that bad mm-hmm. uh, to degree, to that level. Um, there's some names that we might see like withdrawal that could be, you know, that might say, Hey, I won't be a first round pick this year, but I could almost certainly guaranteed be a first round pick next year. Um, you could definitely see that. That could be a common theme and it could be a really strong returning class next year. Cause mm-hmm. guys like, who knows the like, Khalil Ware. You know, he's only played four minutes at, at yeah. most the last three games. Um, but I'm still big on him. I'm so high on him. But maybe his stock is starting to take a hit. Uh, especially Tennessee. especially if, like, Johnny James, I think Hogan's won his final three schools. If he commits there and he knows yeah. scouts are going to be going into the games to see him, then maybe he goes back to Oregon to, you know, get that exposure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I don't think it's a terrible class by any means. I think it's a... I think it's a decent class. Uh, there's like some names. There's about there's not like a clear cut number one guy though. For like some drafts, that you can kind of figure like okay, this is the clear number one guy. There's about six guys that make a case for the number one pick next year as of today. Um, so it's interesting to see how the players in college and stuff and international players would like look at this next draft and maybe return. I'm I'm interested to see how like managers and owners and all that stuff end up dealing with like their draft picks and stuff. Like last time we saw number one pick traded was what 2014 this, with Wiggins? This was with Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz, that's right. I forgot they swapped that. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that all pans out next year. So yeah, I mean I was talking to one of my buddies about this today, but I just feel like a lot of time when guys go back to school, again, it's a huge decision because you could be leaving millions of dollars on the table. But, I mean, it's 2023, and maybe this is a bad example because he was never really a surefire first-round pick or anything, but 
It's 2023 and Terrence Shannon is still in college basketball. I mean, uh, his stock plummeted his sophomore year. Um, Max Osmus from Oral Roberts, maybe he wasn't going to get a guaranteed contract anyway two years ago when they made the Sweet 16, but he's not even on their radar now. I mean, he could have cost himself, we don't know, it's speculation, but he could cost himself millions. Um, Who's another? Jalen Wilson, I don't know because he had a killer combine, but he wasn't, I don't think, a guaranteed contract Mm -hmm. type guy last year either. I think he probably did improve his stock, but I mean, it's just, it's a big decision, and these guys really have to, with that caveat, really have to factor in, you know, that, those guys, and what happened with them. I mean, they didn't improve their stock really much at all. Toquavian Smith, I don't think he improved his stock. He went back to get stronger and work on his finishing ability. I, I still like Turk Smith. I still think he's a solid 15 to, in the 15-20 range, but he hasn't improved his finishing ability at all. Maybe he's moved other yeah. aspects of this game, but but yeah. So my last question is just because this is another controversial topic on draft Twitter is Jonathan Gavoni having Johnny James in his top ten. Now, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that said, "Oh, it's just because he's LeBron's son and he's LeBron James Jr." That again, I don't watch a whole bunch of high school, as I said, but. Johnny James is a guy, obviously, I'm familiar with as someone who's an aspiring front office guy, an aspiring draft guy. He's he's interesting. I mean, where's your value? I, you probably don't have a big board together quite yet, but where, do you, where does he lie? I mean, I think next year's draft class is still so up in the air that I think Johnny James could probably get himself. Again, I haven't really evaluated the other guys. I know um, DJ Wagner came in seven in Gavoni's big board, which... I thought he was always like going to be the consensus guy in this class. So I don't know why he's dropped. I don't know enough about the situation. And I know like Jalen Williams' brother who committed to Colorado is projected like number two or three now. He's skyrocketing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, wh- where does Bronny James fall? I mean, is top 10 probably the back end of the top 10 a fair evaluation for him at this point? Or what do you think? It's totally reasonable. Um, I personally wouldn't have him top 10 though. I have okay. more like a back in the 20, like 20, like between like the 15, 20 range right okay. now. It's kind of where I have him because he's a great connector piece. And I think it's very valuable in the NBA. And that's kind of where you kind of swing on some connect, like really high end connector pieces because he's like arguably the best guard defender in the draft next year. He can shoot it. Uh, he has some playmaking chops. He just isn't super shifty with the ball yet. Um, but I think he's a super valuable pick. Uh, I'm not sure where he ends up at next year. I know there's some speculation on where he ends up, but um, yeah, I like Bronny. Ten is probably too hot for me personally, but I could see a team reaching for it, especially if maybe it gets like LeBron James. So I've heard some rumors about that that he would want to team up, depending on where LeBron's at that point in time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could see someone having him top ten. Like, I'm not totally against it. I just personally wouldn't do it. But the point is, he's not top ten just because he's LeBron James Jr. You think it's maybe it's a little high, uh, but you know what? You can see the avenue yeah. on why. So okay, that that's the point I'm trying to get at. Because again, nobody's really an expert in this. I mean, people, even NBA GMs, swing and miss on prospects. So no one's really. It's, it's not. It's not a perfect science, but. So many people are just like, oh, yeah, well, it's just because he's LeBron James Jr. that he's ranked that high. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. is there a specific landing spot? I believe he's between Ohio State, Oregon, and USC. I think all three are actually intriguing landing spots for him. We've seen Ohio State have Malachi Branham be a one-and-done, very sensible one-and-done. They've done an excellent job at developing guards and getting them ready for the NBA. Oregon, I think he would fit Dana Altman's system great. And Bronny James, again, I, I know I said I shouldn't be doing comps and I'm about to throw out another comp. Bronny James resembles like a DeAnthony Melton type, as you said. Mm-hmm. He's a great connective piece, good guard defender, guy like that. I mean, and that's where DeAnthony Melton went in USC. So that, yeah. I, I, th- I think all three of those destinations are really good landing spots for him. Mm-hmm. So do any of those stick out or... Yeah, I think my favorite one at this point, honestly, is USC. Because they have my number one guy next year and Isaiah Collier. Um, He's, in my opinion, the best playmaker in the draft next year. 
and Bronny playing the two whenever Collier goes to the bench playing the one would be great for him. Um, that's probably my ideal fit for him. I still I don't really have a true lead on where he ends up, honestly. Um, I don't I think there, I don't think there's been any crystal balls going in from two twenty four seven sports or anything like that. But um, yeah, I really do like the USC fit. Uh, that's probably just just this, just the way he plays play style, kind of close to LA egg out of the three teams you named. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd probably lean towards that one. Okay, I think. That's all the questions I have. So I know it's all the questions I have because I'm looking at my sheet and there's nothing else on it. So <laughs> Isaac, where can people find your work? So you can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, both at Global Scout. Now you can find me on uh, Sports Illustrated for Draft Digest. Uh, I will have my first article out next Tuesday. Um, I'm on TikTok and YouTube. Not as much, not very active on there, but most of my work you will be able to find on Twitter, Instagram, and now Sports Illustrated. Okay. I definitely recommend everyone go check those out. Isaac is someone who, again, that's how I kind of became infatuated with his work was Twitter. He posts excellent content, and I'm excited to see what you do at Draft Deeper or Draft Draft, Draft Digest, excuse me. <laughs> um, so many draft sites now. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I also try to dabble with TikTok. It's just very. I'm not savvy enough, I don't think, to figure yeah. it out. But but yeah, so you guys could find me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. You could rate and review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I actually converted my previous podcast before I joined Sports Ethos, that Twitter into a personal Twitter for business inquiries, for you know, different thoughts, personal thoughts that aren't podcast related or front office related. So you can follow that at the underscore NBA goal. That's my last, that's NBA, like the league combined with my last name. So it's the underscore NBA G E L L. So follow me there. I will have part two of this draft preview pre-march madness i suppose is what we'll call it released on either monday or tuesday i'm gonna be recording it monday you guys will be hearing this friday morning and yeah i I, i'm excited to this draft cycle to start watch march madness i just downloaded a bunch Mm -hmm. of games off synergy so if you guys want to see any of my draft content i will be doing some mock drafts for sports ethos as well just like i did last year and i will talk to you guys next episode isaac thank you so much for coming on Thank you for having me again.